Hello, everybody. This is Ayla Sky with Daughter of Creation. Thank you for tuning in today. I'm really excited to share this voice with you. This is Matthew McRoberts, and we're having a discussion of Celtic spirituality. And beyond that, the darkness and the shadows and how that comes to play in our culture, which tends to be all the love and light of the New Age movement and how to really deal with the dark places in ourselves. Matthew has a fascinating life story, which I'm excited that you're getting to hear. He was born in Northern Ireland during the wars there, and that conflict really shaped him. He became, he moved to the U.S., became a warrior in our own culture in Afghanistan, then suffered from PTSD, you know, struggled to find himself really with a cocaine heroin addiction, uh, then found himself in the social justice movement sort of fighting for the Black Lives Matter movement amongst others until he sort of came to a conclusion that fighting and conflict wasn't actually the energy that was going to transform. It was the consciousness that needs to change. And so he's studying right now at Naropa University. We're here in Boulder, Colorado, and I got to interview him in person. We're on an RV journey, as you may or may not know, me and my beloved and my dog, traveling around meeting such fascinating people who are really doing um, amazing things in their communities. And a lot of times these people aren't so online. And that's what I'm finding uh, the beauty of this in-person connection. And I'm just sharing that because I hope that you will take some time to have these kind of conversations with people around you because I'm sure that there are gems just like Matthew and the other people I interview in your own community. And the heart-to-heart conversation we had a we had the interview and then we had a conversation at a tea house afterwards. And the richness of connecting with others is something I think our culture is losing. And that's something I know Matthew is really passionate about wanting to start community here, true community, a sense of having each other's backs, something that he definitely felt both in the army and in his Irish Catholic upbringing. So I learned so much in this interview. I think you will too. One of the reasons I reached out to Matthew in the first place was because I had been visited by the Morgane, which is a Catholic, I'm sorry, a Celtic goddess of death and rebirth and war and waters. And he goes into the story of the Morgane and how we can work with sometimes these darker energies to actually go deeper into our own story and to understand ourselves more, to bring more consciousness. So I really appreciated so much of his wisdom. And as with everything that you hear, whether it's my podcast or anything in the world, take what serves you and let the rest blow away like chaff in the wind. You are the author of your own story here. And and I, I want this to serve you and for you to find the pieces that really resonate with your spirit. So with that, I hope you enjoy this conversation I have with Matthew Roberts. Well, um, I, I was born in Belfast, Northern Ireland. Um, I grew up in the Troubles, uh, at the end of the Troubles. Um, for those of you who are unaware, the Troubles were, it was a war in uh, Northern Ireland, a period of sectarian violence that lasted from the late 60s up until the Good Friday Agreement was signed in 98. Mm-hmm. And I was born in 91 at the end of this. In Northern Ireland at the time, Northern Ireland, which was then and still is part of the United Kingdom, myself growing up in a mostly Catholic neighborhood, 
was baptized Catholic. My baptismal name is Mata Aldisher McConaughey. Um, it's the Gaelicized version of my Anglo Anglicized name, uh -huh. uh, Matthew McRoberts. Mm. So, yeah. So when you grew up, you grew up in the midst of this conflict. Can you just drill in for people who may not know what the conflict was over? Because I believe it was largely religious, correct? It was religious and um, political too. It was um, uh, Catholic Republicans, uh, like the people of my neighbor, like many of my family, mm -hmm. um, and definitely myself if I would have stayed and if the, if the conflict would have continued versus Protestant loyalists. A very long series of reprisals um, where you know, a Catholic would get killed one night, a Protestant would get killed the next day, mm -hmm. uh, a Protestant pub gets bombed one week, a Catholic pub gets bombed the next week. Mm -hmm. um, and this went on over and over again. Um, well, I want to jump ahead because I think this is so interesting. You're now an ordained Celtic, Catholic priest. Drew, you, you want to... Say it. I'm a, a Celtic pagan priest, a druid. Um, I'm actually not a Catholic okay. uh, anymore. I'm, I would qualify myself as Celtic Christian. Christian. Now, Celtic Christianity, which came to Ireland and the British Isles, uh, right, you know, around the time that Christ was supposedly crucified. Um, mm. the, the, the story, there's various stories, and I have my own beliefs about some of the stories in my own tradition, which we may get into later. Mm. Um, but the, the general consensus is that uh, Joseph of Arimathea, who was uh, Yeshua of Nazareth's uncle, mm -hmm. he was a trader who oftentimes came to the Isle of Britain. Mm. Um, but uh, in a sense, he brought Christianity uh, to uh, the British Isles, uh, originally at the right, before, in a sense, before it even went to Greece and uh, you know anywhere else. Wow. So. It is since Christianity arrived in the British Isles and while it did not take hold right away. And this was a different sort of Christianity too. This was Sophianic in nature. The, the general distinction between Christianity, most people think, is Catholic, Protestant, uh, mm -hmm. Orthodox, you know, mm -hmm. all this stuff. Uh, but in reality, it's Sophianic versus Soterologic. Mm -hmm. Soterologic is Savior-based. The idea that uh, Christ died for our sins and we must submit to him or else be damned. Mm -hmm. Sophionic Christianity, which is the variety that my own traditions are found in now, is more wisdom-based. It honors the feminine wisdom uh, within several of my traditions, two of them. Uh, the idea that Magdalene was the actual teacher rather than Christ. Uh, Yeshua was given the credit later on because the authors of the Christian Bible were men. Mm -hmm. um, but in reality, it was Magdalene who was the teacher. Wow. Um, too, uh, part of that legend um, of uh, Christianity coming to the British Isles was that Joseph of, Ar Joseph of Arimathea brought the grail with him, according to you know popular mythos. And I hesitate to say popular mythos because I think things have changed quite a bit. But um, popular mythos is the grail was the cup that Christ used at the Last Supper, according to segments of one of my traditions and the entirety of another of my traditions. Um, the Grail was actually the bloodline of Christ and Magdalene. How did you come into all this knowledge? Well, um... And wisdom, shall I say. <laughs> so I, um, I suppose that goes back to uh, Belfast. Um, growing up, uh, like I did, um, I, like my first memory is of a car bomb going off a block away from me. And mm. the aftermath of that. Eventually, uh, 
shortly before the Good Friday Agreement was signed, my flat was burned down, and my flat complex that me and my family lived in. Mm -hmm. My parents, who were American, had had enough, mm -hmm. and uh, they they moved south to the Republic to Dublin and took me with them. Uh, a week later, the Good Friday Agreement was signed, uh, mm. which, in a sense, temporarily ended the conflict. Shortly after, about two years later, we moved to the United States. Mm. Uh, my parents had had an awful of being overseas and they wanted to go home. So we did. Um, before we did, I, uh, my parents had taken me several times to a Benedictine monastery north of the city. Um, and I went uh, there, this, it was about a week before we were to leave. And a monk who I'd gotten to know relatively well. Um, he took me aside uh, because I'd been, you know, complaining for the past month I didn't want to leave. Uh. And uh, he took me aside and uh, he said, never forget who you are. And I asked him, well, who the hell are you? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, he, s he sighed and he um, said, I'm a good Irish Catholic. That means I'm an Irishman first and a Catholic second. Mm. That means I honor the old ways, the old gods, the old traditions, while giving due homage to the foreign religion that came from across the sea. And mm. upon saying that last sentence, he held up his uh, crucifix around his neck. Wow. And I realized I was planting a seed, in a sense, for me to discover that uh, while I did grow up Catholic, um, so most of the rest of my family is Irish or Scotch-Irish, but there's ties to Ashkenazi, and Germany, but also ties to Sweden uh, as well. Mm -hmm. So, so how did you reconnect and learn the depths of what you've learned through, you know, the Celtic tradition here in the U.S.? Or how did you access that information and come to be doing what you're doing now? Well, I was um, deployed to Afghanistan um, after basically AIT and airborne school. And when I got home, I was at a loss for what to do with myself. Definitely, you know, already traumatized from an early age with uh, the war in Ireland, being in the midst of it again. So I, I found myself in Chicago, um, and I got into a life that uh, was definitely not a very far cry from what I'm doing now, in a sense. Uh, it was through that, however, that I got reacquainted with, uh, you know, my my homeland in a sense. Mm. Um, when I left that life and got clean from hard drugs for the first time, um, I had a very bad heroin cocaine problem, um, left over from Afghanistan. Mm. But um, yeah, and I um, for a time I started reaching out after getting out of that life and um, trying to find you know the bits and pieces of bringing them together. And I slowly did, but um, eventually I ended up uh, and it's, it's suffering for what I was uh, doing at the time, which was uh, better than what I was doing before. It was activism. I was working with Black Lives Matter and the industrial workers of the world. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, at the end of that particular occasion, I had gotten accepted to Nairobi University and I came out here, and that was three years ago. And since coming out here, um, I originally came out here to take refuge with uh, Shambhala and stuff like that. So mm -hmm. I had hopped from tradition to tradition while in a sense practicing or trying to discover uh, my native, my home traditions under the surface and I usually kept it to myself about what I was discovering. Uh, 
a few breaks here and there where I would actually talk about it to the people around me. And generally the consensus was, it was, it was mixed really. Some of it was um, criticism, but some of it was uh, you know, gentle but cautionary praise. Mm -hmm. um, because for the most part people didn't know about my past and my history before then. Um, mm -hmm. Before this spring, in a sense, uh, mm -hmm. is when I finally started opening up about all of this, actually. Mm -hmm. um, two, um, in a sense, deciding to toss everything else aside. All the other traditions that you were part of? I wouldn't say toss them aside, but um, in a sense, set them aside in honor of something that was more me. Mm -hmm. uh, for me, it was, um, I see a lot of correlations between especially like Indian, Hindu, the pantheon there, mm -hmm. a lot of those teachings and a lot of those archetypes within Irish mythological tradition, which makes sense considering that my background in Jungian, mm -hmm. it's appropriate. Mm -hmm. um, two, I see a lot of presence-based, being-based, you know, the here, the now-based mm -hmm. teachings within the Celtic traditions that are present in a lot of Eastern traditions and a lot of indigenous traditions here in the Americas. Right. Um, in a sense, it's I've come to believe um, in the past year and a half or so that um, all these traditions, in a sense, any tradition, any religion, any spirituality, it's only poignant, it's, it's, it's a signpost. It cannot, it's not the truth. Mm -hmm. It's not the reality. Mm -hmm. It is, however, pointing to something that is the reality that can only be experienced. It can't be conceptualized. Mm -hmm. It can't be thought with the mind because the mind is purely a tool for dividing and conquering, mm -hmm. which is useful, which is why we've come to the point we have in human civilization. At the same time, the mind which we've come to identify with so much is so discursive and so toxic Divisive. in a sense. Exactly. It, it tends to want to parse things, it tends to want to judge things and make separation so it can understand things. That's exactly which, what thinking is. Yeah, which can be useful for certain things and it feels to me like the call now for, for most spiritual people that I meet is to come out of the mind and into the heart and into the body and allow ourselves to be one. And I would say that's certainly been my journey coming out of a deeply intellectual tradition into breaking down those walls and learning to, you know, learning that actually the energy frequency of the heart unites all. And so when you're in the heart, you actually can't see difference and it doesn't matter. And that is what we definitely need more of in the world. It's interesting to me that you have been able to go so deep in my cursory conversations with you around the Celtic traditions because I don't find those traditions to be nearly as awake and alive in our country as, for instance, Hinduism or, you know, in the yogic path that I've taken. That's very alive in the West, you know, and even Native American and indigenous spirituality has, has um, some more awareness, but I myself am of Scottish and English heritage and was an was trained in an Episcopal seminary and or an Epis, was an Episcopal minister, and you know drew from deeply from that that world that Christian world and I'm at the place. So the reason I called you, just to let our listeners know, is kind of interesting. I had been really doing some deep soul work as we're entering into the winter solstice right now around the darkness, and um, I have always been accompanied by Christ. Christ, you know, in the sense of it keeps broadening my understanding and I loved your description of soteriology versus sophiology. That 
that hits home for me. So Christ has been with me. Magdalene has been with me. A lot of those figures very much in the pantheon of, I would say, the the ways and the archetypes and the, the beings that help me access um, God, Goddess. But this new character arose this week, or last week, and it was this dark, uh, dark priestess figure with a crow, and she was holding a staff. And she scared me, you know, being of the Christian, um, and I would say most religions is so worshipful of the light, right? And we move towards the light and we speak about the light, and I absolutely believe in parts of that, and also the darkness is part of the duality of our, of our nature of uh, on earth here, right? And my own history is working with emotional healing and going back and helping people look into those dark places um, and have guides into the scariest parts of ourselves so that we can be integrated and we can be whole and we can bring some of those um, into light if we choose. But um, so I came to I came to see that this this shadowy figure was the Morgane, Morgane Morgan however you want to say and this I'm pretty new to this so it was like a it was an awakening and I saw that as one of your first lines on your um, description of your work was uh, your connection with her so I want to bring her into this conversation because I think that you have a lot of wisdom to share about her as well so uh, before we do that I'd like to address something you mentioned uh, Christ is with you Magdalene is with you mm -hmm. um, and I agree uh, both of them are with me because in a sense my understanding of having gone in depth into these traditions within a cultural context and within studying the actual historical context of it um, to I think that Yeshua of Nazareth, the, the, the essence of Sophianic, Sophianic wisdom is mm -hmm. realizing that uh, while Yeshua was a man, Christ is, what I suppose you could compare it to Buddha nature, it's the inborn God goddess within all of us mm -hmm. uh, and it's there whether we acknowledge it or not mm -hmm. uh, whereas generally presence or being acknowledges being being Christ being Magdalene being the goddess being God within your own life um, in a sense uh, while um, presence acknowledges that um, in a sense one is living out uh, Christ the goddess being that being said I think a uh, you mentioned healing and light, and a large part of what I would venture is the toxic uh, positivity of the New Age movement mm -hmm. is the love and light only movement mm -hmm. <clears throat> to even experience true love and light, which is not defined by light. It is not defined by good. It is not defined by it has no definition because it's not conceptual because it can't be. Mm -hmm. That's true. Um, so real love, in order to get there, one must face the darkness within oneself. Would um, you say, I want to just go back and, because I think what we're kind of toying with is pretty profound, that love is beyond light and dark. Exactly. Love is beyond light and dark, good, evil. Love has no, it cannot be conceptualized because in a sense, love itself is God, goddess, the universe, being. It is presence, it is being here, it is being nay. And, and light and darkness is a polarity. It's a conception we've created. Exactly. Um, if you're familiar with the tale of the prodigal son, mm -hmm. um, it's, it's a brilliant parable, a metaphor for 
or allegory in a sense for what happens to us as uh, humans we come into these bodies um, we forget that we are infinitely dimensional uh, or infinite dimension occupying immortal all-pervading omnipresent beings and we incarnate into these bodies and we begin to identify with them so much that uh, we forget completely who we are and it has nothing to do with our minds, our personalities. Uh, the only thing it has to do with our bodies is that our bodies are the gateway back to that. Mm -hmm. um, so the tale of the prodigal son is the son goes out, spends his father's fortune, gambles it, whores it, drinks it all away, and then he comes back and the father is overjoyed and he welcomes the son back with open arms, throws him a huge feast and celebrates him. And the son is loved again, and the son loves his father again, and he stays. The real meaning behind this parable is where that son. We go out, we go into the world of duality, but then we rise again to remember who we are. Um, some of us don't, but then again, us being immortal, infinitely dimensional beings, it's not just one life we get the chance to remember. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. in a sense, we go out. And we remember, we rise again to remember it of who and what we actually are. And we come back to the Father, which is in a sense, this, it's, the, it's one. Um, mm -hmm. And we're the same, the Son is the same in the story as he was when he went out. But then again, he's not the same. Mm -hmm. There's a depth to his character. There's a, there's a, a newfound depth, wisdom and love in a sense in having experienced hell and debauchery and come back into love. Mm -hmm. yeah. So that's us, mm -hmm. if we choose to be. And so when we're in those dark places, this is the Morgane coming in, we, we have guides through those dark places too. She's certainly one of yours that I would love to hear. What is most captivating to you about her? You call her one of your personal deities. She's definitely an ancestor too for me. I was born, as I said, in Ulster. Ulster is the northern province of Ireland. Uh, whether it's a part of the UK or the Republic or not, it's still the North. And the North has always been the domain of battle. Morgan being a goddess of sovereignty, death, life, rebirth, but war and battle. Mm. Magic waterways too. Um, fate. She's many different forms and I've come to feel, in a sense, that each of the goddesses within the Irish pantheon, just like each of the gods in the Irish pantheon, are represented of the same feminine polarity, just different aspects. Mm. And so just as Morgan is uh, the, she's uh, generally has, she's a, they call them the Morgan sisters actually. Mm. The one people mostly refer to is Morgan, the maiden aspect. Mm. There's Macha, who is the mother aspect, and then Bev, which is the crown aspect. Bev is most often associated with banshees and the washer at the ford and portents and omens of death. Macha mm. um, too, she's a, definitely a mother-esque figure. She is the only Morgan sister to have died. There are several tales about her. Uh, she died first of the first battle of Mactiarid, uh, which is second battle of Mactiarid, excuse me, which is the um, it's a battle in which the Tuatha Dé Danann, uh, the gods and goddesses of Ireland, the, the Fae, the She, if you want to call them that, mm -hmm. uh, so they were fighting against uh, the current occupiers of Ireland and then taking the land for themselves. Macha died in that battle, actually. Um, 
two, uh, later in within Irish history, uh, when the Gaels, like the actual Malaysians, arrived in the island and the Tuatha Day went into the hills and into the natural surroundings of the land, uh, Macha became a man's wife, actually. Uh, she He was a lonely widower, a young lonely widower, and she came into his house and suddenly just became his wife. Uh, she blessed him with a lot of prosperity. Margan being the goddess of sovereignty, any of the sisters, part of their um, thing is that they bless uh, people, lands, with prosperity. Um, so um, she blesses him with prosperity. She's pregnant with two with twins, actually. Uh, and uh, he goes to the great fair. Before he leaves, she cautions him not to uh, speak of her at all. Uh, generally, the Fae would punish and warned against mortals who bragged about encounters with them. So he goes to the fair, and during a horse race, um, someone comments how um, none is faster than this racer, and the man who was slightly drunk at the time uh, shouted out, Oh, my wife is. And uh, so the king arrests him and uh, forces him to tell him the location of his wife. And he does. Um, Maka, who we have yet to know is Maka within the story, uh, is brought to the cart there in Ulster. And um, she's threatened to race. Uh, she's forced to race, otherwise her husband will be killed. Um, to show that uh, her husband's boasting innocence. Mm -hmm. um, she's about eight, nine months pregnant at this time with twins. Mm -hmm. And she begs the people to allow her to not race. Uh, they do not hear her. They do not. Uh, and it's a good definite crowd sort of mentality where they force her to race on horseback. Um, she does. Uh, she gives birth at the end of the race while winning the race still. Mm -hmm. And uh, as she's dying, uh, she curses the Elstermen with debilitation, uh, just as they forced her to undergo labor pains under such horrible conditions. She will force them to undergo labor pains every sow and eve for the next nine generations. The reason I'm telling you this is because I have often said um, that sometimes it takes a scary and terrifying goddess to walk us through scary and dark times. Uh, Macha is a very comforting force. Uh, she's a very comforting figure. She has a silence that is it's quiet, it's dead silent, but it's also incredibly warm and comforting. Uh, the Morgan sisters in general have that, in my opinion, in my experience. Yeah. What else can they offer? You're saying silence, that's really, I guess, unexpected. Um, we're heading into winter solstice here and that silence of the darkness and the night and being that we just had a massive snow here, I've been feeling the depth of that icy, silent energy. What else do you know her as? The darkness in a sense that can reach places that the light can't. I am mm. um, distantly related to uh, a famous poet, Irish poet uh, and writer, and he has said in a couple of his books that, uh, in a sense, the interior cannot be reached by the light, it can only be reached by the darkness. Mm. Um, and so the darkness in a sense illuminates, in a sense that uh, it's... Darkness, in a sense, with the mindset of love, with the mindset of soul, and the mindset of God, 
it's just another aspect of that infinity. So, darkness or light, they have, it's a time and a season for everything in a sense. Just as nature runs in cycles, our lives run in cycles, our minds run in cycles. Uh, part of my own practices in getting out of that intellectual space as you were speaking of, mm -hmm. was realizing that I do have to use my mind being in this world, but I don't have to use it nearly as much as I do. Mm -hmm. I'm using my mind for about 90% of the time I use the intellect thinking. Mm -hmm. It is discursive because it's projecting hope or fear into the future or dreading or beating myself up or hating myself for the past. Mm -hmm. And that's not helpful mm -hmm. for anyone. Mm -hmm. uh, the mind, in a sense, is a wonderful tool but should only be used, if at all possible, to make plans as necessary and to reflect and learn from the past, which has no emotional investment. It's just a learning lesson when it's pertinent to the situation. Mm -hmm. Yes, we would all be so much better off being in the present and being with what is in the here and now. And I, even the idea of mind, body, soul, spirit, whatever, is a conception, so to speak. Um, dwelling in the field of love, you know, dwelling in allowing that to be what we carry with us is kind of beyond, beyond these categories, right? Right. You have a ministry, and pronounce it for me. It's uh, Dariach Grove Ministries. Dariach Grove? Dariach. Okay. And it's Irish for druidry or magic. Yes, or... so you consider yourself a druid. And you have a whole ministry around that where you offer blessings and rituals and healings um, coming out of this tradition, which is beautiful. So I want to just give people that uh, context as they receive your blessing. Thank you. Mm -hmm. May the darkness which is present in your lives mind the interior. May the light which is love within your heart have no conceptions or boundaries. May God, Goddess, Divine Presence, that is your birthright, be always yours. And may you remember this always. May these words wrap a cloak of love around you to mind your life and to mind you on your journeys. Gra Shiakan Swavnis Sersha Dada Ala Shirahul Morgan Govra. I feel like there's so many more places we could go around this, these themes of um, Celtic Christianity, Celtic Paganism, Druidery. Um, there's so much more to learn. So if people want to connect with you, you offer a lot of services on your website and you also offer um, like an apprenticeship if people are truly feeling called into this. Uh, I think you have uh, offered to put something on special for our listeners, too. I have. Um, I have uh, decided that uh, this being um, the time of the year when death, uh, the powers of decay are in ascendancy, it's a perfect time, in a sense, to get in touch with one's ancestors, those who've already passed. And so I will be offering a discount, a 25% discount, redeemable on Driac Grove Ministries' Facebook page uh, for the ancestor communication. 
And so with the ancestor healings, let's frame that a little bit for people. This is um, their way of connecting with their own past, their own history, the grief. Precisely. Mm -hmm. um, ancestral trauma is a real thing. And so mm -hmm. um, generally, too, things are, <clears throat> because of the nature of our um, reality, since we're conditioned and our parents have been conditioned and everyone around us has been conditioned by the people before us and this goes back a very long ways and so in a sense um, from that viewpoint there is really no such thing as free will one is unconscious mm. and not realizing their conditioning mm -hmm. um, so in it's breaking that barrier uh, part of it is breaking that unconsciousness or waking up in a sense Part of that is delving into one's past. And it's also exposing oneself to new ideas and new situations and new opportunities for new types of condition, new types of uh, opening the mind in a sense. Well, it's choosing also what you want to carry forward in your lineage through your DNA. Exactly. As we can heal and clear things from the past, we can also set our future, and not just the future of our own children, but of our whole family lineage, including all the potentiality that other people carry as well. Um, so it's a profound thing to go into your past and start um, being accountable to it, I would say. Um, or listening to your ancestors, listening to what they're sharing, and um, what wants to be in alive, alive with you, right? Exactly. I'd say also, um, on this note, uh, I think a lot of times I've Myself or people like me who've been through as much as I have have said that our traumas made us who are we are uh, No, it's not what makes who we are. It's how we dealt with it mm. That made us who we are mm -hmm. And so we get all the credit for that mm -hmm. Yes, you know sometimes we go back into our own history. I'll speak to my own process a little bit of reconciling some of my lineage with um, particularly aggressive in the masculine and how I've held that and um I've attempted to, to do different kinds of reparations with indigenous people and with immigrants and honestly it takes that inner work to actually do the reparations and that is it can feel scary for me it was very scary to be the perpetrator feel the perpetrator energy within my lineage within myself it was probably the scariest thing I could have imagined going into that wound and yet going in there all it takes it's like shining a light in a cave this it's it's going into the fear and seeing the fear and witnessing it and then when you come out of the cave you are changed you are healed for me i was healed you know it, it it took some a little bit of forgiveness work but a much less than you would think it like you said it's about bringing it into awareness into consciousness um is is the majority of of the healing right Precisely. I think um, while we've generally been avoiding the terms darkness and light, um, mm -hmm. in a sense the true light is not uh, darkness or light, it's not good or evil, it's love. Mm -hmm. And in the presence of that, in the presence of presence of consciousness, unconsciousness cannot survive. Mm -hmm. And so what we think is good, evil, right, wrong, light, dark, really is not. Mm -hmm. um, true love, true light, in a sense, is beyond anything we can describe as love or light. It's something that can only be experienced. And generally, if we're judging something as good, bad, light, dark, 
That's how you know you're not in the state of love and light. Mm. Because real love, there is no judgment. Mm -hmm. There is acknowledgement. Mm -hmm. But that's very different from judgment. Acknowledgement is acceptance. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's true. There's a difference between judging your past and acknowledging your past. And I think that's exactly right. What we're asked to do is acknowledge it without judging ourselves. And um, the incredible weight that that lifts, lifts off us allows us to re bring in new conditions, bring in new love. Um, so it's profound, these kind of ancestral, ancestral work. And so I'll put the link to all of this in the show notes, which you can scroll to on whatever podcasting platform you're on to connect with Matthew. And um, I hope you will receive this conversation as a blessing um, and an opening to acknowledge and to become more aware of the places in yourself where your mind may be judging. Because um, that's the core of, of what we're teaching all of us are, are about. So thanks so much for chatting with me today. I appreciate it. Great, Margaret. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And uh, with that, I'll say it's 11-11. So okay. make a wish. Okay. There it is. Slash a while. <laughs> Wow, thank you, Matthew. What a fascinating conversation. And I have a couple of follow-up resources for you. The Irish poet he mentions is John O'Donoghue, who you may or may not know, who has, fast, has just lovely poetry and speaks of the Anamkara, the soul friend. Uh, Matthew's actually related to him. I also took a picture of all of the books on Matthew's coffee table because they were so interesting to me, and I will list them in the show notes if you are also someone who would like to pursue a deeper understanding of the Morrigan, Celtic spirituality, or Druidery, go ahead and check those out. As always, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. I'd love to hear you. I always love to hear feedback, especially what you'd love to hear more of. And if you have a friend or someone who could really benefit from this podcast, be generous and share it. We always appreciate that. I'm sending my love and my blessings to you in this season of darkness as we enter the winter solstice. May you be blessed, may you be loved, may you be comforted in whatever way it really meets your soul. From my heart to yours, thank you for listening.